0: Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering podcast produced by me Fraser McGrew for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights and also this week with our special guest
1: Jess Whittlestone. Nick, kick us off. Yeah, so um, I just, I've known uh, Jess for a few years now, and uh, recently when we met up, uh, she was telling me about some work she's been doing on the ethics, uh, on, on the issue of sort of ethics and artificial intelligence, and um, one of the things that we're talking about is this issue of algorithmic bias, uh, you know, about sort of artificial intelligences, forming beliefs or making decisions in ways that we perhaps find morally questionable. So I thought it'd be great to have her on to talk a bit more about that. Brilliant. Uh, Jess, can you just tell us a bit more about yourself? Just introduce
0: yourself.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I've had quite a mixed background. So I'm an academic, but I do a lot of sort of engagement with policy issues too. And um, my PhD was in behavioural science where I was really interested in kind of like rationality and decision making and the ways that people are irrational. Um, And through that, I did some work with the UK government on sort of applying insights from behavioural science to policymaking. But I now have switched and I'm working much more on um, sort of ethical and policy issues surrounding artificial intelligence, because I think it's become really clear over the last few years that these advances in AI and machine learning are going to be really important for society. And I want to try and sort of help figure out how to make sure that that's safe and beneficial. Um, and I should sort of flag that algorithmic bias is not my area of sort of expertise, but it's something that I have been thinking about a bit, and me and Nick had some interesting conversations on. So,
0: okay, so sorry, probably quite a basic question, but first off, I mean, what are we what are we talking about when we're talking about algorithmic bias? Can you uh, give us some, some examples?
2: Yeah, so there have been a couple of really high profile examples recently, which I think was what prompted this conversation. One of the highest profile one was the use of machine learning in predictive policing and predictive criminal justice so machine learning algorithms were being used to predict which criminals were most likely to reoffend, um, and what came out of this and there was this huge sort of high-profile study an article um, that basically found that these algorithms were more likely they were biased towards black people in certain specific against, ways against say. yeah, yeah. Um, and they were more likely to I think black people were more likely to be wrongly categorized as likely to reoffend when they weren't likely to reoffend the white people. And what we were talking about is the fact that what these machine algorithms are doing is really helping us to better understand patterns in existing data. And a lot of that existing data kind of represents historical decisions. And so the the conversation we were having was then asking, well, maybe some of the time we just don't actually want to know. Like it's not useful for us to know like better understand patterns in existing data um, in order to make better decisions. So in criminal justice, actually, in order to make better decisions about who we incarcerate or who we give parole to, is it helpful to know how those decisions have been made historically if we know that those decisions historically have been subject to a lot of bias?
1: Yeah. Um, Is it possible that the results of uh, what an algorithm might produce is, is something that we don't like, you know, that's, that's the question. Is well, no, it, hold on. Is it is something it we don't
0: like or is it something that is wrong? Is it yeah,
1: it? right. Well, I mean, well, I think there's a... Sorry, Jess, go on. Jess.
2: So I think one thing that's important here is sort of what is the purpose of better understanding historical data or historical decisions? It might be really useful for us to know that historical decisions have been biased if the purpose is to sort of think about how to make them less biased in future. But if the purpose is... If we're just thinking about Trying to better identify who is likely to reoffend, for example, um understanding how those decisions have been made in the past is perhaps not very useful if if there's bias. So, yeah. yeah so I've got if, a question: yeah. Is it
1: do they think that this? So this this um is it. Is it fair to say that the algorithm was making incorrect judgments? and that the incorrect incorrectness was you know more had a kind of pushed uh, pushed um the decision makers towards refusing parole for black people who otherwise had exactly the same characteristics and were like in however you can measure it as likely to reoffend but they were getting parole refused whereas white people weren't and if so why why was that happening
2: so yeah, I mean, I think this gets at how complicated some of these issues are. So, I think the issue here in the parole case and in the reoffending cases, so a machine learning algorithm was given a ton of historical data on um, on reoffending rates, um, and I think it is is a fact that in that data, black people were perhaps in some statistical sense more likely to reoffend than white people, um, but that doesn't mean the issue is that the algorithm then picks up that feature and says, ah, skin color is a predictor of how likely someone is to reoffend," And that is a very different, um, a different thing. It's like, so the worry is that actually the reason that we see these patterns in the data is not because skin color is a predictor of likelihood of um, committing crime. It's because of historical biases in the past. It's the fact that um, perhaps um, police have been harsher on black people mm. and so are more likely to pick them up. Um so yeah so things that aren't the... in the
1: data it's proxying for things that aren't in the data that probably should be if we could yes, measure things yeah, like harshness yeah. of police treatment or whatever yeah, if those yeah. things if we could measure those we could factor that out
2: yeah but i yeah. suppose the the bigger issue here that i was thinking about is if we if we understand what machine learning is doing is sort of picking out patterns in historical data when we think about sort of fair and ethical use of machine learning maybe we need to step back a bit further and say when is doing that actually useful for what kinds of data sets for what kinds of questions for what kinds of problems rather than what i worry a little bit is happening at the moment is like let's just throw machine learning at all of our problems because
3: um and, and it's and cool it, and it's fun and <laughs> yeah so yeah we uh, so we're trying to ask the question is the future behavior of this system likely to be similar to past behavior of the system and do we want it and, to be and right do we want it to be, <laughs> yeah. yeah um, um so that, that that's i mean it, i i sort of happened upon a sort of uh taxonomy for different types of bias in parts of analysis and i don't know if this chimes with any literature i haven't done much research in it but this seems like this is all about date bias in the data yeah yeah um but it seems like there's other types of bias. I mean, it's related. It's all related, overlapping. But there's also sort of bias in the analysis. And this includes what assumptions we're making. And one assumption might be that actually, yes, this this data that we have models the world well, and we can therefore use it to predict how the world will behave in the future. Um, uh, it might also include like the, the 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 choice of which data fields are used to build your model and what type of model you use and there's also a bias in ultimately how that analysis is used to, to inform a decision so that that for example might include um well do we a listen to the analysis at all or do we just do we just make it up or do we just wet finger it or do we uh, or do we uh, how how intelligently do we do it do we take into account all the caveats and assumptions that the analyst has made or do we ignore that stuff and just take the simple message and just take the oversimplified view of things um is that a useful distinction to 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 sort of break it apart like that yeah i
1: I think this seems well i mean i i guess yeah like is the is the data representing a biased system wrongly incorrectly biased system I mean, if it is, you can throw that out, right? Let's just say that's – let's assume that we're not talking about that kind of thing. Because let's, let's say we're trying to predict what decisions judges will make and judges are all a load of racists. Well, we'll just be predicting, you know, racist decisions. So we obviously right. don't want to be doing yeah. that, right? The problem comes when you are uh, – when you there might be bias in the real world. So, you know, that actually certain features do accurately predict um, you know certain kinds of negative health outcomes say you know if you 're looking at um allocating health resources um you know may, there, you know there are there are situations there are th- um certain you know um health outcomes which are more prevalent among black people for you know genetic reasons among other things um were you you know that's is that is that something you know that's that's in the real world right there's nothing bias happening if we if that if that pops out and says we need to be targeting more resources um for you know for for black people because of these health issues uh that's that that's because of a real world bias now is that is that bad should we be doing that like or should we be attempting to ignore yes. Yes. features
3: yes. that we don't potentially think no we less, should be taking account potentially of. Potentially no less emotive, though, is it? It's just because it's a feature of the universe. I mean, one, That's one, the question.
2: I think one issue here is, is going back to um, Peter's distinctions between the different kinds of biases, to be clear about the question we're asking, right? And I think sometimes the, the sort of problem of bias, as you pointed out, is that we we think we're asking the question of, um, you know who should get this healthcare treatment, or um, who is likely to reoffend, and who should get parole. But actually, what we're asking is, what did what decisions did parole officers ma- parole officers make in the in the past? And so, being really clear about that is important. I also think um, Nick, though, you are getting at perhaps like one thing I've been thinking a bit about is this this bigger question that maybe goes beyond algorithmic bias, which is something about like what kinds of predictions we want to be able to make about people and particularly like what kinds of ways we want to be able to is it useful to be able to discriminate between people? So if we can use machine learning to better predict which people, um, like which subsets of society are more likely to get a disease or to go bankrupt, for example. Like those predictions might be entirely accurate, mm-hmm. but it might still be harmful to know these things because it's sort of so I have a, a colleague who talks about this as Um, kind of undermining this value of solidarity like and solidarity depends um, this idea of solidarity in society sort of treating everyone the same kind of depends on this veil of ignorance about who is going to get a disease we have like um, sort of you know social support systems that depend on some amount of ignorance and that issue is even is bigger than bias right we might be accurate
1: but yeah i think that and that yeah. that fee- I mean, not insurance it, yeah. is a great example very controversial right, exactly, and a live yeah. issue and you know it, 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 you can imagine getting to a sort of situation i think i've heard people describe it as a kind of n equals one situation where you get so good at predicting someone's uh, risk of something that you're more or less sorting them into one or zero you know you can sort of be per- almost perfect in your prediction about what's going to happen to someone and price insurance accurately um well, that's controversial. I mean, no one, I don't, I think it's legal to charge uh, women less for car insurance because that's definitely a thing, right? I don't know if that's been successfully challenged. No, it's challenged. been,
2: it's not, le- I think it's illegal now. I think it used to be legal, but it's been okay. made. Yeah. I mean,
1: obviously, as an economist, I'm all in favor of pricing things accurately because as soon as you obscure that information, um, you know, it, you're going to get um, distortions in the market and you will no longer have an efficient level of insurance. But, at the same time, as a human, it's incredibly annoying to be, you know, to be um, given a high price for something which is totally beyond your control. Uh, you know, where someone else who happens to live in, you know, Surbiton gets a nice gets nice cheap insurance. You know, I can't help it. I can't help where I live or, you know, what the fact that I'm male, it seems kind of unfair. So I think that's what we want to get. to. Is it right to use the features to try and use those features because we can expect artificial intelligence to be really good at learning to just dis- be discriminatory yeah it's exactly. going to learn really really accurate ways of and discriminating that's it's useful
2: right like right. discriminating in the broad sense but yeah, yeah. so
1: yeah. so uh, yeah so i mean what are some of the policy Have you i don't know if you've looked at any of the kind of what sorts of policy proposals people have have come up with because i feel like you know we're completely on the back foot here uh, I mean, there are, because I've I had a quick look at the sort of legal side of this. Yeah. Legally, um, you know, there are these protected characteristics, which we might call features in an artificial surgeons context. And they are, um, uh, there's nine of them, um, which are uh, age, disability, g- transgenderism, marriage, uh, pregnancy, race, religion or belief, sexual orientation, etc. You're not allowed To make different decisions on those bases, bases about people with a bunch of exceptions like monks. You can't be a Muslim monk. Not allowed. I suspect you can't be a Jewish imam. But anyway, you're allowed to discriminate on that basis Mm -hmm. and actors and models in film. You've got a Chinese character. You you're allowed to say we want a Chinese actor Mm -hmm. to play them. Um, And then you are allowed to target uh, sort of ethnic minorities if they're underrepresented for training schemes and that kind of thing. Um, uh, things like cultural sensitivity so you might want to employ you know a muslim woman to do searches at airports and so on um yeah so there's a bunch of exceptions there but i mean that so we have this sort of legal um legal setup which says you can't by and large you can't use those features not allowed so you might think well that we just won't put them into our model
2: we i mean one of the issues there is that often the model will still essentially learn these features <laughs> through their yeah. correlations with with other things um one one thing that's quite interesting there on the the legal side of protected characteristics so I was just actually listening to a, another podcast with Hannah Wallach who's a researcher at um, Microsoft Research who's been working in machine learning and fairness in machine learning for years and she was talking about I think it's this sort of conflict between what the law says you can do with protect, protected characteristics and what technical approaches to ensuring fairness in machine learning actually need to do so one sort of thing that she was talking about is that um it's not clear whether protecting these characteristics means not using them in your analysis or like explicitly using them in order to make sure that you are treating people fairly across these these groups and so it's like should we be more aware of these characteristics or less
0: um Can, just a quick question so you sit out just outside of policy making you yeah, consult right yeah, yeah. um I'm just wondering just how receptive or what's the kind of general knowledge within uh, policymaking of the sorts of material that you're finding and how receptive are they to it?
2: Yeah, good question. I mean, I think as is the case for like all policy areas, there is this this gap between policy and, and academic research with problems on both ends, right? Like the academic research isn't always that relevant for policy and policymakers aren't that engaged. I think because AI and machine learning is so high profile and topical at the moment there is more engagement on the policy level with what's going on in academic research and so the UK government has just set up or is just in the process of setting up this new um center for data ethics and innovation which will essentially as I understand it sort of try and advise they're not going to be a regulatory body but they're going to advise on regulation and um and policy related to AI and data and they are like at the moment commissioning academics to review research on algorithmic bias and communicate it to them and then start thinking about what that means for policy so maybe sometimes i feel like there's there's too much hype around ai at the moment and it can be really harmful but one of the good things about that is i think that governments are sort of having to take it really seriously Mm -hmm. and having to really engage with the academic communities
3: so on on a practical working level how how can you how do you have any ideas of how you might sort of encourage your data scientists to 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 be fairer to to be aware of their biases so what would if you were advising this unit how what would you suggest that they do that they sort
2: of so if i was advising the unit um on what policy they need to do or 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 how how they how
3: they affect government policy making so what advice would you say you need to give the, the, the these departments this advice to help their data scientists
2: um, yeah I mean, as I say, I get actually the um so I know that this unit are thinking about algorithmic bias, and then the other thing they're thinking about, which relates to the sort of bigger thing we we're talking about is basically sort of um ai driven targeting and manipulation um and the, the targeting point is this like we can use machine learning to better understand differences in populations and therefore like give them different messages or give them different interventions and think about think about that and that's actually the thing that i've been thinking more about um than the bias and i think i mean the sort of issue there is we don't quite understand enough yet about what's being done to really understand what the issues are but i think we do need um serious thinking about so the the gdpr is a, is like exists and is a thing that i think is doing some work on Um, sort of regulating the way that data and algorithms can be used to discriminate against people Um, and some of that relates to algorithmic bias but I think there's a need to look more and I'm not a legal expert so I don't know this but look more at what what does the GDPR do in terms of constraining how information about people can be used to then deliver them sort of like targeted tailored messages and services and what might be the harms of that And, and is there a role I think there might be a role for regulation to play beyond what the GDPR already does in kind of saying like you can't use certain amount certain kinds of information about people to determine which you know um, poli- like which policy intervention they receive or yeah. which. It, I'm going uh, to come
1: right out and say I think it's totally unenforceable. I think yeah, it's a it much be. harder it problem than, yeah. than I think these right. policy people are expecting.
3: I mean, the data science is a relatively new discipline and yeah. data scientists are sort of inherently at the moment quite mercenary. I mean, they're employed by ad agencies to increase the number of clicks and by Amazon to increase the number of sales. And it's their job to just do that whatever. Um, and uh, although they might be conscientious in their jobs, they're, they're, they're under that restriction. If they don't do their job as well as they could They'll be replaced, so uh, I think that's always going to be a problem. Yeah, but you're assuming.
1: I, I mean, I think we keep assuming that there's something bad about this. That's what I'm questioning. I think it's not not even not even necessarily like good or bad. It is a. A completely necessary feature of dates, what data analysis involves is identifying features that that meaningfully distinguish between things. Like you, we will not be able, we cannot have, um, you know, a kind of. I mean, the, the only the only way you can uh you can be genuinely unbiased about these things is by ignoring them, it's by is by not factoring them into into anything you're doing. So I don't I don't see it's not possible to to eliminate bias from analysis from and even if you take out gender well if it if it actually is affecting the world in some way the machine will just learn proxies for gender it'll learn proxies for race it will learn about the things that predict what is going to happen to someone um there's nothing we can do about that i i I cannot see how you you know and then you then you might start saying well what we need to do is cut out anything which is correlated with gender or race or anything well you can't is is accurate in saying this do you
2: think so I have two thoughts on this. <laughs> One is that, I mean, I think it's often being said now that a lot of the sort of ethical issues related to AI that people are talking about are not actually necessarily novel um, and unique to AI, right? Like racial bias is not a unique problem for machine learning algorithms. It's it's a problem that's existed, you know, in society for <laughs> um yeah, for a really long time. And in a way, what our use of machine learning is doing is just putting this really clear spotlight on other problems. And so it might be the case that, like, yes, it's not currently really possible for us to use machine learning in certain domains without coming up against these really big issues of bias. Um, but what we can do is try and think about this as like, OK, this is alerting us and giving us a better understanding of bias historically and then really creating like a stronger incentive to to do something about that like change the world so we change the data or something um my my second thought is that sort of going to this bigger picture question of like what it is that we're using ai and machine learning for it might be true that like we can't use machine learning in advertising say without risking um treating people unfairly or undermining their autonomy in some way I worry a bit that you know we have these advances in in machine learning and AI and getting lots of people excited and saying you know these could be used for a huge amount of good but also have potential for harm and and one of the questions that's not being talked about that much is just like well what do we we have some to some extent limited resources right and limited ability to apply this stuff like what kinds of problems do we want to apply it to, and at the moment, a lot of the sort of um, jobs in AI and advances and stuff are going on in, say, advertising, right? Because mm. that's where the money is. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe well, it's a it little bit I too get... blue skies. If but, it means like...
1: I see fewer adverts for Stanist airlifts and things, <laughs> that would be great. Those walk-in baths. <laughs> or, well, you get a few more in a couple of
3: decades' time. I know <laughs> that's the worry, isn't it? Oh, yeah, no, because
1: uh, Facebook sent me a message about incontinence pants on my 40th birthday <laughs> <laughs> it was the first time i'd ever seen an advert for it i thought oh I god is this is the future yeah yeah although oh, there, there wasn't there there was um wasn't there a uh a woman who got sent pregnancy voucher sort of pregnant like pre- before m- she knew she was pregnant stuff, or yeah, something, yeah. stories yeah. like yeah. that aren't there yeah well,
2: certainly before her dad knew she was pregnant or yeah something like yeah. That. yeah we're not
0: at the stage of needing to wrap up yet but we're sort of starting to glance in that direction i've got one question that i want to ask jess but i want to leave that for a while but is there some? we've got jess what else would you like to ask or
1: to delve further into this what yeah so i guess i mean my question is what what do people think is bad about you know using all the information you can to make as good a decision as possible okay if the data is biased fine right but if it isn't if we've got accurate measurements about the world, and we are able to make accurate decisions, right, and allocate resources, and you know, and if it turns out that that means you know more men than women are incarcerated, and you know, um, more healthcare resources are given to very certain ethnic minorities and so on. well, so what? Like that's good. Uh, that Change my mind. So I, th-
2: I think one, one part of the worry is that this is just concentrating power right so yes okay um, and potentially sort of um, reinforcing existing power asymmetries and and biases and things so like yes machine learning enables us to um, potentially make better decisions and make better use of resources but um, how machine learning is being used to do that is being decided by a very small group of people who have very specific sort of biases and ways of seeing the world and so i think i think the the bigger issue then like this algorithm is biased is this sort of power issue of like these these technologies are very yeah a very powerful data i mean data is incredibly powerful we're seeing just like how um how having access to people's personal data is really concentrating power in the hands of these few tech companies um so i think that's the that's the bigger issue people are worried about it's more
1: what you're saying is is more uh, it's not so much that okay tactically yeah there's nothing wrong better targeted adverts maybe you're more likely to buy the right incontinence pants but um actually the problem is that we everyone is doing advertising and perhaps we the fact yes we could use these things to target healthcare resources but our fact is we're not and we should be yeah, so what things? Um, what what pro- what are the unsolved problems that you think we need to be throwing <laughs> compute at?
2: Yeah, no, don't ask me that question. No, go on. I'm afraid um, it's
1: out there now. If you had to, if you had to pick one,
2: I mean, there. Are, yeah, there. are... So I'm going to dodge the questions. Yeah, go on. Um, so I was at I was at um, an event the other week where someone asked a que- asked the question. I think we need to be asking. Or, like what would AI systems look like, and how would they look different from the way they look today if we were really trying to use them to solve the world's problems and th- I suppose the really worrying thing is like i don't automatically i don't know how to answer that question, and like no one in this room there are a bunch of experts really knew how to to answer that question I mean I think you know there are there are there are applications that are exciting i think I think healthcare is like an obvious domain where we do have a lot of data and actually better understanding patterns in the data and relationships um could clearly be very valuable it's also a domain where we really have to deal with like privacy issues and where discriminating between individuals might be harmful but i do think it's an area that has a huge amount of of promise um yeah <laughs> i mean I, I, I don't think that's bit, most important it's a bit area. of a
3: painfully hypothetical question really uh, it's like how yeah you know, the, the fact that that a lot of AI all we know is the
1: answer isn't advertising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think the marketing way to... probably isn't the best way to make a world better. Make the world a better place. It's and and it's a very high level a richer company but...
2: way to think about what machine learning helps us with is it does just help us to better understand really complex patterns in the world that like our human brains can't intuitively um, understand. Um, and there are tons of things there that could be really useful, right? Like better understanding like climate dynamics and figuring out what might help us to solve climate change. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. The economist, the economist in me, wants to say, well, you know, the problem of uh, you know, exp- of scarce goods um, and things being expensive and logistics being costly um is affects everyone it's you know if you pay have to pay more for food because it's inefficiently brought to britain rather than through a really efficient network um well it's good it's good that companies are able to cut costs it's good that you know advertising is able to pay for the free internet that we have it's good that um you know that it is good that i get adverts for incontinence pants <laughs> because um, people like me are more likely to be incontinent like maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm not. I don't put that out there. But because <laughs> yes, see... you got the pads on. That's why. <laughs> that's a good
0: point. But I, I
2: suppose there's being good, and it's like, is this, is this actually a good? Is this the best use of? Well, yeah, but I, when I asked right, you what could... the best use
1: was, you didn't know, right? No, so, no, I don't. So I think...
2: but, but I, I can think of things that are better, right? Like I've been talking to a colleague about um, applying AI to agriculture and i don't really understand agriculture but it seems like there's a bunch of potential to like improve f- food security for example um mm. and there are risks again associated with that um but that seems better than making some company more efficient or
1: well presumably even if we do use it for agriculture it will make some company more efficient i mean it's going to make a yes. farming yeah. company yeah. Yeah, 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 um yeah. you know better at doing that and i guess it, i don't know my, my instinct well it might, is... well,
3: make them more profitable not nec- but not necessarily better for the planet yeah greater. look, and we need to sort of draw to a close peter was there something you wanted to add uh well yeah i mean that uh, just the, just there's there is some silver linings in the big i've, I've got a there's certain things i've got to mention as a rule in our in our podcast oh, God. uh blockchain but, so yeah well it's, oh no, no so he, he no, said no. it the blockchain cat is out of the well, bag well no it's related to it's related to a principle that can be enabled by blockchain technology so um uh, a lot of research being done by Microsoft and Facebook and the big the big tech giants into um, new ways that people can manage their own data online to to, to authenticate themselves. Um, and there's a principle called self-sovereign identity, uh, which is which is particularly exciting. That the, the sovereignty is putting their putting your. Con- putting your data back into your control so you 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 sovereign in the sense that you have control over your your own identity and that made that, that opens up possibilities and lots of possibilities in terms of privacy and preventing uh, inappropriate data access but also means that people can be directly remunerated for use of their data so uh, rather than as we do now kind of recklessly hand over control of our data just to get that new app on our phones uh, means that we, the people the, the people who want to subsequently use your data is much more transparent to you as a as an individual so you have choice it's much more democratic about your how, which which uh which models you elect to be part of and which ones you don't so it's just a is technical that
0: a, a statement or a question
3: no it's a statement theres a, a sort of, there are there's things such as this which are sure. uh, potentially part of a solution
0: um okay i mean Just to round things off Jess can you tell me why it is you do what you do and I guess part of that is what is it is it what is it that excites you about your field and what could happen in the future?
2: Yeah so it's interesting because there I sort of came to thinking about issues around AI from two different directions. One was that I had this background in behavioral science and I was really interested in the way that humans make decisions and the sort of flaws in that and the way that those those kind of flaws in decision making contribute to problems in the world and and I was really interested in how improving human decision making might actually you know help us as better solve problems in the world but got quite disillusioned with all these sort of like ideas of de-biasing humans and and so as a result got much more interested in like well maybe these AI systems which have very different strengths to humans might help us to solve kind of some of the complex big problems that that we can't solve ourselves so that's the sort of more positive side of like being excited about um, these systems that have very different strengths to humans and might be able to complement us and in various ways and then the more negative side was being I suppose worried like worried about um, worried on multiple levels about what's very advanced AI systems that are much smarter than humans might mean for the world but also worried about what's the sort of concentration of power that these systems bring in happens to society and and all of those things so there's kind of these dual motivations like i'm motivated by the potential for this technology but also by and a lot of the time at the moment by wanting to make sure that we kind of um yeah prevent the harms
0: nice answer um just rounding things off might be a stupid question
1: yeah um, no we always have to end on a stupid <laughs> question yeah.
2: so um
0: it's got nothing to do with ai Nothing Perfect. To do with, brilliant nothing, nothing to do with what we've been relevant about as always it's okay great. uh but what, i was just what's your favorite cartoon
3: uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i was just your ideas
0: i was just i was just imagining if you were at a party right um and let's say it's a i'm sure you go to loads of parties with loads of like a data analysts and <laughs> ethicists and so on but let's say this one isn't one of those and it's a party and, with normal people in <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah, yeah so and it really someone is. goes oh what do you do and, and this is going to be for all of us actually oh god yeah and and so what do you say to that person in one sentence so this is what this is my job this is what I do that's question part A okay and question part B is what do you think you would be what would you do if you weren't either what would you want to do if it's not what you already do or what else what's your other career that you're not doing okay um, good questions or bad questions
1: I'm, I'm good. Happy to
0: run it. yeah <laughs> it might tie in somehow so yeah. anyway um you don't have to go first, Jess, actually. Actually, no, I think you do. Okay. Yeah, go for it.
2: So w- interestingly, I think my my answer to what you do depends on the person I'm talking to and sort of what I feel like on the day. Um, because I don't feel like it's very easy to explain exactly why I do. But my default is um I do research into um a range of ethical and policy issues related to artificial intelligence. Um Sometimes I'll just say I'm an academic or I'm a researcher and then see if people prod me anymore. Um,
3: I think that's reasonable. Uh, And actually, before we go around to part B, Peter, what would you say to someone at a party? Well, if if I'm being obtuse i might say that i'm a conceptual engineer uh, <laughs> uh, it's strange what, he
1: doesn't get invited to oh yeah. part.
0: i know what i do at that yeah. party <laughs> <but> what <laughs> i really mean is no, don't touch that guy over here yeah, what yeah. i mean
3: is that i am so we 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 do sort of research and development stuff so we 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 help formulate ideas uh and approaches to to achieving certain aims that's
0: no, nice yours must be the same no or how Incorrect. would you describe it no yeah.
3: i normally go with
1: I'm the director of an analysis and decision support company, and we help people make better decisions with the data that they have. Um, I like that, apart from the decision support bit. I mean, that's, don't know. Well, we support decisions. I mean, what's uh, yeah. that if it's not decision support? You tell me. No, but I think, there, I think there's
0: a nicer way of saying support. There's a more, yeah, I don't know. Mine's really simple. I make films, simple as that, and record the odd podcast, you know. Um, okay, so bringing it back round, uh, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this, Jess?
2: I I want to have an answer that's like really out there and fun and crazy, but I don't. So, I mean, I think a, a lot of what I like about research is actually writing. I think part of me is like a is more of a writer at heart. Um, I think part of the reason I'm not a writer is it's just a much harder career path to go down. And, and I like the research part. But there's a part of me that I, I feel like I could have been a um a writer or a journalist or something. Okay. Maybe.
0: It could be your
1: side hustle.
2: Yeah, maybe one day. Maybe uh... one day. I have uh, dreams of yeah, just quitting things and sitting and writing a book or something one day.
1: In one of those, um, one of those swinging wicker chairs, <laughs> yeah. lots of cushions.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can great. totally see that. Uh, Peter or Nick, uh, I've got well, I've got lots of grand, high-minded fantasies about you know having had a successful career in the army and potentially being a British astronaut and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but I'd actually probably most likely just be a boring, broken, grey civil servant still.
1: <laughs> Peter, that's not. I think you've missed the spirit of the question a bit there. <laughs> no, that. you can you can take it as you like. No, no, that, you know that's sort of answered both sides of you, Actually, uh, Nick, I really love what I do, so I I don't think it's very hard to imagine like a different thing that I would be doing that I I would enjoy you know more. Um, but I, but I think it would be like the same, but perhaps less concerned about actually earning money. Like I'd be doing mm. similar things like I, again, yeah, research probably I'd be doing a lot more. I'd probably spend more time designing and running games and, you know, um, uh that those kinds of sort of soft analytical things which i enjoy you know writing probably like jess doing a bit more forecasting a bit more writing about the future um you know probably a bit more speaking at things it's a bit yeah i mean the the thing about the job which is you know makes it a job is uh having to sit down research stuff you're not particularly interested in and come up with insights on behalf of a customer i'd probably that that's what that's the bit i'd shave off i
3: think (laughs) yeah yeah were you gonna add something else yeah before? i, I to a second bite of the cherry I, I i would quite like to do stuff with my hands i'd quite like to mm. to build things i get great pleasure in actually achieving something physical um i would so i i if if uh a second career after this would be to set up a sort of prototyping and creative space full of raspberry Pis and uh oscilloscopes the cog space be called the cog space uh, and uh, yeah and and just have yeah as a space for people to come and use and uh create so, so, things so
0: my answer is actually funny enough the cross between both of you because what i do is actually what i really like but i'd like to do it without sort of commercial necessities necessities and i'd love to be off photographing stuff filming stuff um and not just having to do what i do but so so i'm kind of almost sort of there um but also i do have a second career remember, well it's about a fifth career actually um at some point which is i want to build boats and i want to build uh wooden boats um and do something with my hands and i have this sort of um idyllic thing i live in some community somewhere small down by the sea and i'm wooden
1: some... ships and iron men
0: yeah exactly yeah. and i'm and i go into the power all right Fraser, the boat builder come out as a boat and that... so anyway i'm that, that, that's yeah my the thing of... is
1: about you, Fraser, is you'll probably bloody go and do it i mean that's that's <laughs> the thing that's your problem you see is you can, still haven't quite got the hang of the difference between your real self and your idealized self. I mean most people come to terms with that in their early teenage years, but you're yeah. you're still well, I, getting I'm get,
3: there. let's go let's go and get a let's get a an old shipwright yard and uh i'll I'll set up my workshop and you... we we could make this happen we can make Jess have... you in you yeah, can make the sales yeah.
2: the other thing I was nearly going to say is I feel like um I, there was there was a time when I could have been an architect. Like, I liked maths and I liked this sort of, like, precise drawing, so maybe I can bring some of my, my architecture skills to the... can design the boats and Na- you can build Na- them. Naval architect? Yeah. <laughs>
0: There's something beautiful going to happen here. Yeah. I can feel it. Okay, uh, we're going to have to draw to a halt there. Um, suffice to say... Uh, Thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. You've been here with myself, Fraser McGrew, with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. But most of all, thank you very much indeed to our special guest, to Jess Whittlestone, for being with us today and uh, for sharing all your insights. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs)